0: Welcome to Crump Insights, exploring timely life insurance and retirement planning topics for today's forward-thinking financial professionals. In this episode, we'll preview what to watch from Washington, D.C. in 2024. I'm Brian Bushlack, your host for this series and an active life and health insurance producer. Joining us, Joy Da. Senior Vice President, Market Conduct. And John Whitaker, JD, CLU, CHFC, Director of Advanced Sales at Crump Life Insurance Services. Well, Joy and John, thanks to both of you for joining us. John, I'll start with you. Let's talk about the sunset of the unified exemption amount. That's scheduled to be cut in half here in a couple years. Walk and talk us through this, would you? Sure
1: thing Brian. So yeah, I think it's important to first clarify that we're talking about only the unified exemption amount. That's the big number that uh, people can give away gift tax free during their lifetimes or estate tax free if they hold it till death. So that number is 13.61 million for this year. We're not talking about the annual exclusion amount. That's that $18,000 number a year we sometimes think of that as the, you know, crummy gifts that remains unchanged. So we're talking about the big number. It is scheduled to be cut in half under current law on January 1st, 2026. So uh, that means that that is going to happen unless Congress does something to change it. So then that kind of gets us into the issue of predicting the future. You know, what's going to happen? I think most of us have been around the block enough times to know that when you have a big major piece of tax law that's expiring, Congress generally waits until the absolute last minute to address it. So, you know, my prediction will be that we're unfortunately probably not going to have an answer to these questions until December of 2025, right at the last minute. That also means that the 2024 election is going to be a big one in terms of tax policy. Generally, you know, thinking about how the government's going to work these days, especially when it comes to tax policy, if you have control, if one party has control of the Senate, the House, and the presidency, then they're able to implement tax policy. If there's any other scenario, if there's any kind of split at all, then generally you have gridlock. So since the law is already written to be scheduled to cut in half, it would seem that one party would have to control all three of those branches and be motivated to make a change for a change to happen.
0: You know, the timing of that, John, is a great point because we are all aware of this massive deficit we're carrying now of what, 30 plus trillion dollars. I haven't checked it last couple of days, but that could become, you know, the big political issue here in a couple of years. And if it is, uh, then certainly this will be in the crosshair.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, interesting that you mentioned that because uh, it raises two points. One, the relationship of taxes to deficits and also politics. So in general, You would think we have, you know, increasing deficits and we're looking for additional revenues, then people would be motivated to let the exemption be cut in half because that generates more taxes or to maybe even raise the estate tax rate or, or cut the exemption even further. But the reality is it's a real wild card when it comes to the estate and gift tax, because compared to other sources of revenue for the government, it's barely a drop in the bucket. I looked up some numbers from 2022, the Congressional Budget Office posts these numbers. For fiscal year 2022, the total receipts was $4.9 trillion. The largest contributor to that were individual income taxes. About 54% of that is individual income taxes. Next on the list is payroll taxes, that's OASDI, hospitals, some other stuff. That comes in at about 30%. So 85% of that about, and that's pretty consistent. I looked at a few years is coming from individual income taxes and payroll taxes you have to keep going down the list all the way to the bottom the estate and gift tax contributes 33 billion which seems like a big number but compared to the total that's about two-thirds of one percent less than one percent of the receipts from the federal government come from the estate and gift tax so that kind of raises the question why are we always talking about it why is the federal government constantly fiddling with the rules? And that's the other point of politics. I think the estate and gift tax is more of a political issue than a fiscal one. So that makes it very hard to predict. You know, the conventional wisdom might be if Republicans control all those three branches, then they're going to keep exemptions high, maybe even repeal the estate tax. If Democrats control three of those branches, then maybe they're going to you know, keep the exemptions low, maybe even increase the estate tax rate. But it's hard to know if that conventional wisdom will really hold true because it doesn't cost the government that much money to increase the exemption or lower it. So in my mind, it means the estate and gift tax is really a political issue that could potentially be compromised on. You know, maybe Democrats leave the exemptions high if they get something in return that they want. It just makes it not only is the election itself very difficult to predict, but even if we know for sure one party is going to control all those lawmaking branches, it's still hard to predict what they will do in terms of the estate and gift tax because it just doesn't move the needle in terms of revenue.
0: Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, this is not a political podcast, but you can't avoid it when we're talking about the estate tax because that is the ultimate political football. And we'll see what happens here throughout, you know, this election year and then into the first year of whatever happens beyond that because it could become uh, quite the talking point, you know, tax the rich. Unfortunately, as we all know in this business, it's not necessarily the ultra rich that are the ones that are impacted by it, it's the closely held family business owners who are attempting to pass on those businesses, obviously real estate owners, et cetera. So that's really where the the big hit is. Any other tax issues at stake here in this election year?
1: Yeah, you know, the most recent major tax legislation, of course, was the 2017 tax bill that largely issued in some cuts and and deductions. So those, uh, especially on the side of personal income taxes, were all subject to the sunset and scheduled to expire. So we could have some individual tax brackets going up. The standard deduction might go down. And a big one for our audience, financial professionals who might personally be benefiting from this is the deduction for qualified business income available to certain pass-throughs under 199A, that new section, Uh, that could be eliminated. So those are just from that tax bill. Then you have other larger issues. You know, uh, each president produces their kind of wish list of items and so over the years we've kind of accumulated and other sources to a wish list for for each party and you know democrats have been talking about in recent years maybe grantor trusts will be included in your estate that would definitely change the scope of planning and how we go about things so i don't know if that'll happen or not it felt like a couple of years ago that might have actually been close to pulling it off before uh, they backed off So there are just a lot of taxes. And I think you're right, you know, taxing the rich and paying fair share or words we are going to hear a lot over the next nine months and and probably, you know, thereafter. One thing I will remind folks, though, and this is a bit awkward, it kind of puts us in an adverse position to our clients. But, you know, life insurance is a tax advantage product. And it also one of the main uses for some of our biggest policies are paying estate taxes. So when taxes go up, while that might be bad for some of the clients we work with, the sort of secret truth is that that's usually good for our industry. So I'm not sure what to root for. You know, whether you root for your clients to have better tax situations. I mean, the reality is, if grantor trusts are now included in your taxable estate, that makes a lot of the traditional estate planning techniques like grants and sales to defective trusts and all these other things go right out the window. Life insurance might be the only solution left standing. It could actually be a boom for our industry. I'm not gonna celebrate that in front of clients and tell them I'm rooting for higher taxes. But that's just something to keep in mind as we hear the politicians make their, their you know have these debates is the secret truth is the higher tax rates are, usually the better that should be for life insurance.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because you circle back to the annual exclusion and they don't touch that. That continues to ratchet up a a little bit every year, right? And that's that window that we have from a gifting standpoint as, you know, those premiums are gifted to the trust to help pay for, hopefully pay for those life insurance premiums, right?
1: Yes. And uh, I should mention too, that strategy would seemingly still be intact, uh, and also, you know, from my understanding, from talking to some folks over at Finseca who were involved in, in talking to the politicians behind the scenes, when they were talking about including making grantor trusts included in your estate, you know, many life insurance trusts are grantor trusts because owning life insurance can be a trigger included in those conversations was the idea that they would take that rule out and so that a life insurance trust would no longer be considered a grantor trust just because it holds life insurance so if that holds and if this I mean we're deep into theoretical world now but if if some sort of rule like this does get passed in the future i have faith that even if grantor trusts are included in your estate the life insurance trust would not be which would again just set up a really good opportunity for our industry
0: no question about that. And uh, as you mentioned, the timing of this, of course, will all come down to December 31st of 2025. <laughs> We've been there and done that many times, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And uh, Joy Daw is on deck with us with regulatory topics here in just a minute. But before we talk to Joy, I want to get an update from you, John, on the Connolly case. What's the latest here?
1: Yeah, so uh, the Conley case is moving right along. Uh, just for those folks that aren't aware, you know, that case was uh, decided in favor of the IRS at the appeals court level and the taxpayer appealed to the Supreme Court. And that's the case where the life insurance owned by a business to fund an entity purchase by sell, and specifically owned by a corporation was included in valuing the corporation in the taxpayer's estate and was not offset by the obligation of the company to redeem the shares. So they appealed to the Supreme Court. That's not an automatic. The Supreme Court has to agree to hear the case, and they did. So right now, they've set arguments for March 27th. So uh, we're in the stage where briefs are being filed. You can actually go onto the Supreme Court website and look up the docket and read the briefs if you're so interested. Just search for Connolly, and you'll find it. Different organizations can file briefs. They're called amicus briefs. They're not parties to the litigation, but they're more people who just want to express their opinion. I saw one was filed recently by the Chamber of Commerce of America. So right now they're in the brief filing stage. We're about a month away from having arguments. Then the Supreme Court will render its decision before the end of the term. It's probably going to be one of the last ones we're getting, you know, from when the hearing's schedule you're getting towards the end of their calendar. They recess in the summer. So I'm expecting a final decision from the court sometime in June. That's a vague guess. Early summer-ish, maybe June. Maybe if it's a little slow, end of June, early July. But uh, yeah, I think we're probably four months or so away from
0: finding our answer. Wow. Are you filing a brief, John, or are you going to sit this one out? (laughs) Uh, You know, I am not filing a brief.
1: I think I'm going to sit this one out. Uh, If I start filing briefs, uh, I got a stack of things our marketing department wants me to work on. I think uh, (laughs) they they pulled my feet to the fire if they found out I was doing something else.
0: That's good to hear. Okay, Joy, we want to welcome you to the conversation and talk about our uh, insurance regulatory topics here in 2024. What is going on with Department of Labor Proposed Rule 3.0? Could you walk us through this?
2: Yes. So first of all, the Department of Labor is really trying to fast-track the proposed fiduciary rule. They're really moving at record speed in fast-tracking this proposed rule. The draft was actually finalized on October 31st of 2023, then published in the Federal Register on November 3rd. After the draft rule was published... The DOL then opened up two days of hearings in early December to allow interested parties the opportunity to provide public comments that could assist the DOL with next steps related to the draft. Both those advocating for and against the rule were actually included in these hearings. From a financial professional perspective, most notably, Finseca was included in this round of hearings to advocate for the insurance profession. During the same time, comment letters were required to be submitted to the Department of Labor. All comment letters had to be submitted to the department on or before January 2nd of 2024. The DOL received a number of requests to extend this comment period to allow those responding to have additional time. However, this request was actually rejected by the Department of Labor. Further evidencing DOL's expedited agenda The DOL did receive over 20,000 comments. Crump has consolidated several letters submitted by our industry partners, and these can be found on crump.com under the resources tab of our website. The DOL now has 60 days to review all comment letters and make changes to the rule, if any. But the department is not required to make any changes to this final rule, and it could remain as drafted. This is actually the time frame that we're in right now. And we do expect to hear next steps from the Department of Labor in early March, uh, throughout April, which could result in the final rule being published. This final rule will then go to the White House for approval, which we also expect to happen very quickly. Those closest to this process expect a final rule to be published in the Federal Register sometime in second or third quarter 2024. So a very expedited time frame to try to get this proposed fiduciary role in motion.
0: Yeah, they are moving very fast on this. Could you do me a favor and for our advisors and financial professionals out there joining us on this podcast who may not be familiar with the gist of this, just give us maybe a few sentences on what this is and what this would do.
2: Yeah, I certainly can, Brian. So the rule is much different from the current rule that's in place today. And I think that's very important to understand. And although the DOL may have good intentions in further protecting retirement investors, the DOL has made significant changes to the proposed rule that will not only adversely impact the availability of insurance and annuity products in the marketplace, this proposed rule will also make it difficult for financial professionals to market these products ultimately impacting consumer access to these products that may be needed to fulfill their retirement goals and objectives. At the end of the day, limiting product options and consumer access ultimately does not protect retirement investors. And some of the major differences regarding the new proposed rule include the following. First and foremost, the five-part test that many financial professionals rely on today to be able to provide annuity and life insurance recommendations has actually been removed from the draft regulation. In addition, compensation that is typically paid to financial professionals in the form of commission is actually going to be prohibited. And in order for a financial professional to move forward in making a qualified life insurance or annuity recommendation, a prohibited transaction exemption will need to be completed. This is not any different than the prior version of the regulation that's in effect today. However, both the exemptions that are permitted to be used by financial professionals, which include prohibited transaction exemption 8424 and 2020 02, have received significant changes in the new proposed rule. For example, under 8424, The commission disclosure must include both the percentage and dollar amount of gross premiums received for each year in renewal. The financial professional must also acknowledge in writing that they are a fiduciary, provide a written best interest statement, and document thoroughly why the recommendation was in the best interest of the client. So although that exemption is in place today, there are added requirements making it more difficult for independent producers to comply with the regulation. In addition, under prohibited transaction exemption 2020-02, there is a new fiduciary acknowledgement. Also a written best interest statement must be included and additional fee disclosures or payments received from other sources must also be disclosed. Both of these disclosures must be submitted to the insurance company who the recommendation was made for, for review. Today, these documents are not collected by the insurance company. So these changes create an uneven playing field for different types of financial professionals that are actually making the same type of recommendation. And we encourage all financial professionals to continue to review future Crump collateral as we continue to break down these requirements
0: my goodness yeah i would just caution everyone to stay in touch with your crump contacts as this moves forward there's a lot going on here what's the latest as well on the state long-term care outlook we saw the state of washington go all in on this are we seeing other states now uh, attempting to copy this what's going on here
2: Yeah, I know many financial professionals are very familiar with the Washington CARES Act that passed in 2020, and there are a number of other states considering similar types of programs. We know that long-term care is a very important need for Americans, and that Americans will need some sort of long-term care within their lifetime. And I'm certainly glad to see that states are taking the issue seriously and looking for solutions to help fund long-term care expenses. However, from an advocacy perspective, the insurance profession has to remain involved with the states to help ensure that these programs are beneficial to their residents while also preserving the importance of insurance products. Specifically, we need to work with state legislators to educate them on certain missed opportunities with Washington, including the ability to have portable coverage when moving out of a covered state or providing choice for those entering the workforce. As an industry, we also need to educate our clients so that benefits are clear and all residents understand their options. Crump continues to stay engaged on this issue with our industry partners. And of course, as new state programs or regulations are implemented, we will continue to keep our financial professionals informed on the specifics.
0: That's good to hear. There's no shortage of things to keep tabs on here. And I wanted to also, while we have you, uh, talk about the state privacy and cyber requirements. This has become another concern that we all have to watch out for and adhere to, right?
2: Yes, absolutely, Brian. We're seeing many states publish new and revised privacy and cybersecurity requirements to ensure adequate protections regarding privileged information especially as fraudsters are becoming more and more sophisticated in trying to gain access to this information. Currently, the state of California has passed some more stringent privacy requirements. Anyone conducting business with California residents must post a copy of their privacy notice on their website. Among other things, the notice must describe how personal information is collected and used, and how residents can make specific requests regarding certain rights, such as the right to correct their information or delete such information. Although there are currently over 20 states that have implemented their own cyber requirements, the New York Department of Financial Services sets the bar in relation to these requirements. Most recently, on November 1st, 2023, New York passed some revisions to their existing cyber regulations. Even if you're not licensed or operating in New York, I would suggest reviewing these regulations to help further protect your business and the customers that you serve. In relation to all the topics mentioned, please continue to look for resources on crump.com or contact your sales manager for more information.
0: Well, great advice, Joy, and I want to remind our audience that we'll take a deeper dive into the estate planning opportunities and strategies John touched on on an upcoming episode of Crump Insights. John, Joy, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate your insight. Sure thing, Brian. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here as always.
2: Thank you, Brian. We really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Crump Insights is brought to you by Crump Life Insurance Services, LLC. A leading third-party distributor and service provider of insurance and retirement products. Part of Truest Insurance Holdings, LLC. The fifth largest insurance broker in the United States. Crump supports the distribution of life insurance, annuities, long-term care, linked benefits, disability, and health products with the industry's premier sales and back-office support and technology services. Marketing under the following brands. Crump. Truest Life Insurance Services, Risk Rider, and TELUS. Source Business Insurance Magazine using 2022 Brokerage Revenue Generated 2023 Issue. For financial professional use only. Products and programs offered through Crump are not approved for use in all states. Not all applicants will qualify for coverage. Policy terms, conditions, and limitations will apply. Crump does not provide any tax or legal advice. Insurance products are available through Crump Life Insurance Services, LLC. Arkansas License 100103477. Variable insurance material is for broker-dealer or registered representative use only. Copyright 2024, Crump Life Insurance Services.